Welcome back to The Takeaway. Todd's Willick with you, filling in for John Hockenberry this week. Well, there is no question that America is transforming when it comes to attitudes and practices about gay marriage. Now, we've heard two sets of arguments on same-sex marriage in the Supreme Court this week. We know that. And now the court members retire to their respective quarters, their chambers, to decide the fate of Proposition 8 and the Defense of Marriage Act and possibly the future of marriage as an institution in this country. So how will the justices decide? What are they thinking and what can we learn from oral arguments this week? Joining us, Adam Liptak, Supreme Court reporter for our partner, The New York Times. Hi, Adam. Hey, good to be here. Well, let's parse a little bit because we must some of the statements and some of the arguments from the court this week, I guess, in terms of Prop 8 from earlier this week. What can we divine from the jokes or from the arguments, the statements that came from the bench about how justices might be feeling uh, or about how they might decide? Well, it's not unusually a 5-4 split where if the court were to reach the merits, the four more liberal justices and Justice Kennedy said things sympathetic to a right to same-sex marriage. And the more conservative justices who talk, which is to say three of them, plus Clarence Thomas, who doesn't talk, are presumably on the other side. So if you put a gun to these guys' heads and said, you took the case, you have to decide it on the merits, you might expect a 5-4 decision in favor of same-sex marriage. But there was an overlay of statements, particularly from Justice Kennedy, saying, why did we take this this case? Uh, It's too soon to decide We don't have enough experience with this institution. There are thousands of years of experience about traditional marriage, only a handful of years of experience about same-sex marriage. Let's not decide this yet. Well, a lot of the reporting, including yours, coming out of the arguments yesterday on DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, suggests that justices seem ready to kill that law. What do you think? Of the two cases the court heard, it's certainly the more modest question. It only asks the question of whether people who are lawfully married, same-sex couples in the nine states in the District of Columbia that allow such marriages, should receive federal benefits. That is not a particularly big ask of a court that includes the swing vote of Justice Anthony Kennedy, who has in the past been on the same side of gay rights and states' rights. So that's the easier of the two cases, and I think there's good reason to think that there are five votes to strike down DOMA. Well, let's listen to one example here. Here's Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg explaining her view on what happens if the federal government ignores legal same-sex marriages in the states. It's not as though, well, there's this little federal sphere, and it's only a tax question. It's, it's, as Justice Kennedy said, 1,100 statutes, and it affects every area of life. And so you were really diminishing what the state has said is marriage. You're saying, no, state, there are two kinds of marriages, the full marriage and then the sort of skim milk marriage. Well, Adam Liptak, there's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, Wow, skim milk, what's she getting at there? Well, first of all, Justice Ginsburg is not noted uh, for her laugh lines and sense of humor, so that's something she must have prepared and thought about. But it also drives to an important point, that people married in states uh, that allow same-sex marriage really are not fully married until the federal government in a thousand different laws and programs recognizes their marriages. And the justices justices essentially would be saying, if they struck it down, the federal government in tax law and inheritances and even notifying the spouses of of soldiers who die overseas can't ignore a legal marriage in, say, the District of Columbia or Colorado. 
That's right. And I don't want to minimize it. That would be a, a big step forward for supporters of gay rights. But it would not require any state that doesn't want to have gay marriage to have gay marriage. So it is the smaller of the two cases and the harder case to know what the court's going to do with is the case argued Tuesday about California's ban on same-sex marriage, where the question was, should the court tell a state that does not want to have same-sex marriage, or at least what the voters said in 2008, uh, to require it? Uh, or perhaps to require the entire nation to have same-sex marriage. Well, in terms of transformation and the court's power as the epicenter, one of the epicenters of transformation in this country, the court's power to really change the trajectory of gay marriage in this country. On the Proposition 8 case, they don't have to do it, right? And they may not. I mean, it seems like a lot of analysts seem to think that a decision like Roe v. Wade that orders all 50 states to say you must legalize gay marriage because it's a basic constitutional right doesn't seem likely in this case. It seems like they may do something more narrow. Uh, agreed. Uh, a 50-state solution in, in the Proposition 8 case, a ruling requiring uh, same-sex marriage throughout the United States immediately, uh, strikes most observers as quite unlikely. The court doesn't like to get very far out ahead of the American people. And when the map at the moment says nine states have it, 41 states don't, that's very early in the process by historical standards for the court to jump in and say, uh, we're going to do a little cleanup here, and there are some outliers, but it's time. Society has arrived. So 50 states is unlikely. There are narrower possibilities that would apply to only nine states or perhaps only to California. But I would think the most likely outcome is the court has gotten a kind of buyer's remorse about agreeing to hear the Prop 8 case and might instead dismiss it on a technical ground. Well, here's Antonin Scalia on the conservative side of the court talking a bit about that buyer's remorse that you just mentioned, asking really when gay marriage was ever part of the Constitution. Listen. I'm curious. When, when, did, when did it become unconstitutional to exclude uh, homosexual couples from marriage? 1791? Uh, uh, 1868 when the 14th Amendment was adopted? So an interesting take there from Scalia. But Adam Liptak, before we let you go, the Supreme Court's ability to be fully transformative to interpret the law and interpret the Constitution here. When we come out of this, let's say this time next year after the judgments are rendered, how much power, given the legal boundaries of these two cases, does the court really have? What is the likelihood that they might do what a lot of people say they could do, utterly change the trajectory, the perception of marriage in this country with the decision? If the court embraces same-sex marriage, it will play a role it has historically often played, uh, including in gay rights cases and certainly in civil rights cases, think of Brown against Board of Education. The court can provide real leadership and put down a symbolic marker about uh, what many people think of as the civil rights issue of our day. But again, I think we're going to see something short of that in this pair of decisions. Adam Liptak is Supreme Court reporter for our partner in The New York Times. Adam, thank you. Good to be here. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.